Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Hi, I'm Gemma. I'm on the leadership team at Marriage Helper. And today I have the privilege of hosting Relationship Radio. I am joined today by one of our amazing clients, Amanda. So hi, Amanda. Hi, Gemma. So today we're going to hear a little bit more about your story, Amanda, um, and what brought you to Marriage Helper. So welcome to Relationship Radio. This is Relationship Radio, an extension of Marriage Helper International. We answer your questions directly with research-based principles that you can implement immediately. Regardless of the situation, what we teach will not only make your relationships better, but will also help you to become the best version of yourself along the way. Turn up the volume and prepare to take notes as we begin this week's episode of Relationship Radio. So Amanda, tell me a bit more about how you first met your husband. At my graduation from high school, my um, husband had a cousin who was in the same graduating class, so we actually met that day. We were both 17, and um, yeah, we started dating just right away. So how long did you date before you got married? Um, We dated for about two months before we moved in together and then um, lived together for about a year before we got married. And how would you describe your relationship at the beginning of your marriage? We were very young and naive and just thought that the passion of being in love would last forever and didn't really know what we were doing. So it was passionate at the beginning. You were really into each each other. Yes. Yeah. And how, so how long have you been married now? 25 years. We just hit 25 years in August. So at some point in your marriage, um, you hit across some trouble or at some point you ran into some trouble in your marriage. Um, so when did that happen? Um, we had been married for about 14 years when we started doing foster care. Um, and we had a little boy that we were trying to adopt um, when we'd been married for about 15 years and he passed away and neither of us knew how to do that, how to deal with the death of a child, you know? Um, and it was very much, kind of brushed away because he wasn't our child, but in our hearts he was. So that was something that kind of started our crisis. We didn't know how to talk to other people. We didn't know how to talk to each other about that loss. Um, We just tried to move past it. And then we had some other things um, that happened um, that took us out of foster care and um, kind of just rocked our world. And we, again, didn't know how to process. So we each processed on our own in completely different ways. And that ended up kind of leading into our our crisis. And it was just mostly a lack of communication and a lack of knowing how to communicate about hard things. Right. And so what was your initial reaction to that? How did you um, kind of cope with what was going on? I spiraled out of control. I identified myself as um, my value was in being a mom 
And um, even though I had three biological children, because some I felt like a failure in that foster care realm, um, I had I just kind of spiraled out of control. I I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't have um, anybody I could talk to, including my husband and I. We didn't communicate about emotional things or hard things. We either fought yelled, screamed, and then went silent, or um, we were just started at silent and continued there. Um, So it was just something that we didn't process. And I was trying to process it on my own. And I didn't know how. And to me, because I was so hurt and out of sorts and didn't have someone to lean on, it was really easy for me to think that another marriage would be a good solution. You know, like, let's just be done with this one. We've gotten everything out of it that we can, and we aren't, we aren't good together. So let's just move on. And so I detached from my husband emotionally, not really physically, like I was still there, but he was out of town a lot. He worked out of town a lot, which was a huge battle that we dealt with. Uh, I didn't want him to work out of town. I wanted him to be home. He wanted to make the most money he could, which usually meant he had to be gone a lot. So we were kind of living a weird, uh, separated, yet married, you know, most of the time we were not together kind of life. And I just started turning away from him for my needs and my wants and my desires and trying to throw myself into the, the boys and um, just different, I like different things at church and trying to be involved with anything and everything that didn't involve my husband. Mm. And that made me feel like I didn't have a partner, even though he was right there. So mm. I thought divorce would be the best answer for us to both be happy. That must have been a really hard time. So how long how long did that go on, that detachment? It was about a year or so. And then I told him I wanted a divorce and um, he was devastated. He didn't see it coming because nothing had really changed on his side other than, you know, we had some hard things happen, but we got past them. I think we both thought we got past them because we weren't so sad anymore. We weren't crying frequently. We weren't, you know, um, we were able to kind of shove it away, push it down. So we felt like we were over it. And so he didn't really see it coming. I, looking back even now, I don't see how he didn't. I think it was just that he didn't think that I would ever go anywhere. If you could go back to, to the time when, um, your child died, what, what, how would you have handled that differently or what would you have done differently? So at that time, I asked my husband if he would go to counseling with me, and he said no. He didn't feel like it was necessary. Um, I asked if he would do counseling through our church. He also didn't feel like it was necessary. Had I known now what I know then, or, you know, what I should have known then, um, I would have started going to counseling myself and taking care of myself first and either been able to help him or been able to be, you know, he could see me healing or something and maybe he would join me at some point. But instead of focusing on us having to do everything together and if he wasn't in, then I wouldn't do it. I needed to learn how to focus on me first. That's what I would do and communicate. Oh my gosh, so much more communication, even the hard Mm. stuff. Mm. 
Um, I'm so sorry for your loss and everything you went through, Amanda. Must have been very difficult. It was. So you were in that position for a while. You got to the point where you asked him for a divorce um, and you said he was shocked by that. So then what, what happened next? Um, he pushed really hard. Now I know because of marriage helper, I know what that means, but he pushed really hard and um, that pushed me further away. It just kind of sunk in my um, decision that this wasn't right because even when I said, you know, I'm done, he couldn't do what I needed him to do. You know, he still wouldn't go to counseling. He was just um, kind of trying to overdo it. It felt like he was trying to make up for lost time in a lot of ways. And so it just pushed me further away. And then at some, I don't exactly know what the point was, but at some point, I think it was when he stopped pushing and started just detaching himself that I realized, I realized that I actually did kind of want to work this out and hold this together. And at that point he had switched. Um, he was just done. And if I didn't want him fine and he's, you know, going to move on, we're going to divorce. Let's wait you know, give it a little bit of time and get everything sorted out and have an amicable divorce. And, um, that was when I decided that I didn't want to destroy my boys's life to try to find my own happiness when there was a perfectly good man right there. And I saw that while he was doing the pushing, I saw, um, little glimpses of the man I fell in love with and the man that I wanted to be with. And, um, I, I tend to take the easy way typically. And I was like, it's just so much easier to stay married to the man I'm married to than to start over. And so I desired to try to repair what we had and salvage what we could. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. And I know some of our listeners will be intrigued. Um, when you're saying that he pushed you and when he was in the period of pushing, what did that look like? Like, what did he do that made you feel like you were being pushed? He was constantly texting me, wanting to know where I was, wanting to know what I was doing. I, I see now that it was more like he wanted to be involved in my life, but at the time it felt very controlling. Just like at the minute I said, I'm out, I'm done. He was like, what are you doing? Where are you at? Where are you going? Who are you with? You know, and doing mm -hmm. all of those things. He was genuinely trying to be involved and be interested in my life and you know, be as close to me as possible. He, um, if I was in the kitchen, he was in the kitchen. If I was in the living room, he was in the living room. If I went to my bedroom, he followed me downstairs. And I, I mean, I, I just felt completely smothered. He was trying to give me the attention that I had desired for the last almost 20 years. And that had faded over the, over those years, of course. And, uh, it was too much all at one time. And it just felt very controlling, very smothering, very, I, like it, it kind of solidified in a way at that time it solidified. Yes. I definitely don't want to live like this. So I've made the right decision. I want out and this isn't going to work. And then when he backed off and I had room, I had space to think I had room to breathe. I had room to um, like kind of reminisce over our past instead of him reminding me of it. Like that was another thing. Like, what about the good times? Remember when we did this one? Remember when we did this? And, you know, it was frequently just kind of in my face, reminding me of the good times. And at that time, all I could see was the bad. And when he would bring up, you know, a few good times, I'm like, yeah, but one day out of 10 isn't enough, you know, and I couldn't 
I didn't have time to sit back and breathe and really think. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in your journey, at some point you came across Marriage Helper. So how did that happen? My husband actually Googled something along the lines of what to do when your wife wants to leave you, something along that line. Um, And this was back in 2017, I think. Um, And so he started following the Marriage Helper group and he was obsessed with, I think, finding other people that were going through his pain and the same situation and comparing himself, it seems like, you know. Um, So I would see him on his phone constantly on Facebook and he wasn't really a Facebook person before, um, before this. And it intrigued me. And I, you know, every now and then I would inquire, what are you looking at? And it was always the same thing. Always. Oh, this group of, of people who, who are on the verge of divorce or, you know, something like that. And so finally I asked him if there was anything on there that was, you know, interesting or, uh, whatever. And he read me a couple posts and I asked him if I, if he would mind if I joined the group also, because the post that he read me, I identified with, and he was kind of on that. Can you believe this person? You know, like what they did to their husband. And I was like, kind of can, you know? So I saw, I don't even remember who it was, but I saw just kind of a glimpse of other people that were in my situation, not just like betrayed and not just, um, someone who had been left and their wife just walked out or whatever, you know, it was, it was, it was someone who had betrayed their husband. And so I started kind of following the group commenting here and there. Um, I would always make sure that he was okay. If I commented like, Oh, we had a similar situation or whatever. Um, I had him, I read every comment to him before I posted it. And that was on the group that we were both in. Then I was just, I started looking into the pies and started working on myself and trying to figure out me. And I, I think somebody made the comment that like, you always have to put on your, your own oxygen mask and, you know, take care of yourself and stuff. And I started really identifying with that and feeling like, um, well, maybe that's what I need to do is focus on me first. And then maybe he'll come around. If not, I know I can move on. I, you know, I was ready to in 2016 or 17 or 2017, I think it was. So I could make that decision at any time, but I can't make the decision to keep my marriage once I've gone through the whole process. Um, divorce is the, is the final for him. He, there's no going back. Um, I can't say that now, but at that point, 100%. Like if I divorced him, that's it. We're done. So I felt like I can, I can do this. I can do this for another day. I can do this for another day. And I would just take it one day at a time. And when I would be ready to quit, I would say, well, I'll give it 24 hours and then see how I feel tomorrow. And usually by tomorrow, I would feel at least differently. Um, maybe not like okay, we're going to reconcile, you know, but, and I'm going to do everything I need to do to get him back, but not as hopeless. So I just took everything one day at a time. Yeah. So you mentioned two things that we have at Marriage Helper, which for people listening, you can join. So one of them is a free Facebook community group, um, which you apply to join. Um, you know, you have to sign up to the 
the community rules, um, but it's basically a group of thousands of people who are trying to save their marriage. It's the Marriage Helper Save My Marriage community group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, as you say, Amanda, tons of people in the, in the similar situation, plus our Marriage Helper admins who provide resources and answer questions. Um, so that's a great group. And then you also mentioned Pies. So that's mm-hmm. our Art of Attraction Toolkit. Um, it introduces the concept of Pies, which stands for physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, and being able to focus on yourself and become the best version of you that you can be as a foundation to any relationship or any interaction that you are having, um, but especially in a marriage. And especially if you're going through a marriage crisis, that's a really great starting point. Mm-hmm. So Amanda, so there you were, start taking it day by day, um, working on your pies, and anticipating. So at what point did your relationship take a turn to the better? At what point did things start to improve? Well, there was a couple different times that things have improved somewhat, but things got way worse first. So in March of 2018, we we went to the Marriage Helper um, in-person couples workshop and we we went all the way to Tennessee. We used our income tax returns. It was our kind of uh, hail Mary before we got divorced. Um, it was, I asked him if he would do, do it. Cause I, through the group, I had heard about it and I asked him if he would do it with me for the boys, uh, for our communication. So we could learn how to co-parent. Um, at that point we were talking about nesting. Uh, so the boys would live in the home that they've always been in. And, um, we would share an apartment, a uh, small like studio apartment. And we had decided to move away from that idea at some point. I don't really remember the timeline um, and just lived in live in separate rooms in our house because he was gone two to four weeks at a time. And there wasn't really any reason for us to do that if he wasn't going to be home most of the time. But we had this nesting idea. We were going to, when, when the divorce was final, we were going to either live in separate rooms in our home. And then I would be kind of scarce when he was home and or we were going to get a small apartment. And I said, well, before before we go to those expenses, um, why don't we do the marriage helper workshop? And he said he would go uh, to learn how to co-parent. At that time, it was um, March of 2018. And they were still doing it. It was, you know, pre-COVID. So it was, that was the norm. There was no online options. So we went to that uh, mainly for co-parenting ideas to learn how to communicate better and to, I don't know, just, just kind of learn how to, how to be divorced. And that was, that was kind of the plan. We both really got a lot out of that workshop. I think he he said one of the comments that he said, and we t- discussed that was that he wished that there was a um, premarital workshop because had we known all of those things beforehand, we wouldn't be where we were at that time. It was just something that he's like, this needs to be in high schools. This needs to be in you know everybody's available to everybody, not just people in crisis. And so we at that time determined that um, we were going to, or I asked him if he would wait three months after the workshop before he made any decisions. And at that time, we said that when our boys got engaged, we would send them to the marriage helper workshop, whether there was a premarital or not, because just seeing, learning all that information was, um, 
life-changing, but it was in, in his mind, it was too little, too late again. You know, that's kind of where I was years before. And I, I knew that I had changed. So I decided to start really just focusing on me and not focusing on him as much as I could, which was hard for me because I identified myself as his wife and the mother of his kids. And that was it. Um, I didn't have an individual identity. I didn't have uh, friends of my own. I just was all in, you know, to our marriage. So we got back from that and um, the three months passed and I asked him if he was going to make a decision. And he said um, on his timeline, not mine. And I said, okay, um, I can't live like this forever. So I'm going to give you as long as I possibly can to make a decision, but you have to promise me that you're going to make one. You're not going to leave me in limbo forever. And he says, you're not the boss of me. So I'll do what I'm going to do. And you do what you're going to do. And that broke my heart, but it also put me in a place to take what I had learned on the day by day thing and just continue to apply that. Like we didn't have a bunch of good days, but when we did, they gave me hope and they kept me um, willing to keep trying, keep moving forward. And then I saved up some money and got the Save My Marriage course um, the and joined that group and started getting involved with that group. And that group is for the, like for the standing spouse, um, which I had a hard time identifying as because I felt like I was the one that betrayed him, you know, um, but I was the one that was standing at that point. So, um, I joined that, I started working through that program and it just re, re, uh, iterated, you know, focus on yourself, take your focus off your spouse. And, um, that was exactly what I needed at that time. And what were the key things that you, that you got out of the save my marriage? One of them was obviously focus on yourself. Was there anything else that was really pivotal for you? I learned how to do smart contact. I had always kind of done smart contact. I was one of those wives that if there was say something that had happened, um, if I could avoid telling my husband any bad news, I would, um, if I could deal with it before, you know, before it came to his attention and then tell him about it past tense, you know, like, okay, this happened. This is how I dealt with it. It's done. It's good. It's over. So I, I had kind of been doing smart contact in a not so healthy way, more of a keeping, not really keeping secrets, but kind of like, you know, not telling him bad news, not telling him anything that was emotional or might trigger him, um, just to keep him from getting angry or upset and trying to keep the peace like our entire marriage. And so I learned how to do smart contact in such a way that we didn't have very many bad days at all because there was just no emotional conversations at all. We did not talk about our relationship for, I would say at least a year, maybe a year and a half, like zero relationship um, conversations. We would talk about our kids. We would talk about the weather. We would talk about food. We would talk about movies. Um, it was all, I, I treated him like a coworker in my conversation. It kind of like leveled everything out and mm -hmm gave us a different baseline to work with when we had been a year and a half with absolutely no fights, getting along completely, no, um, no problems, no issues, no turmoil. There was a friend of ours that I think, I don't know if I mentioned this, but we had, we had done, 
moved into separate bedrooms. Um, there was a friend of ours that needed a place to stay and he, um, told him that he could stay in our spare bedroom. And, um, he moved back into my bedroom at that point. So mm-hmm. nothing was ever really spoken of. Like, it wasn't like this big, you know, he's moving back into my room. We're going to do this, um, thing again. And we slept on exactly opposite sides of the bed, hugged the corner for like months, you know, mm-hmm. but it gave us a completely different baseline to work with. Amanda, that must've been so hard to live like that with this man that, you know, you desire to get back together with, but now for over a year, you are, like you say, treating each other like, or treating him like a coworker, mm-hmm. um, not getting emotional, not pushing, um, sleeping in the same bed on opposite corners. Like, how did you do it? How did you stay motivated during that time? I cried in the shower only because it made sense. And it was the only time I was alone. And, um, and then I just, I just, had that he's a coworker. Um, we are working together to finish raising these boys. We are doing what we can to maintain the peace for them. And I just put my focus on what was best for them. And, you know, obviously best case scenario would be loving parents who love each other and love you wholeheartedly. But at the very minimum, um, parents that don't fight, parents that um, don't make you feel like they're going to leave at any moment, you know, giving them that stability was important to me. So they were my, my driving force in that situation. So then what happened? Where are we now? Are we up to present day yet in the story? It's like, I've got a five or six years near story. So it's hard. Um, so this year I really, um, last year was COVID. Uh, he got laid off at the beginning of the year. So he was home 24 seven for just over a year. We again, barely talked any relationship talk, but we started, um, I started inviting him to things that I wanted to go to. And if he didn't go, I would go anyway. And I think he got bored. And so he started joining me more and enjoying himself more, um, enjoying me more. And we just kind of started dating and, I still was mostly doing smart contact. We would talk about the boys and their future. We wouldn't necessarily talk about us and ours, but I was kind of burning out. I did smart contact for about three years and all told. And I think we had one relationship talk in there. And it was one where I said, I think I'm to the point where you need to make a decision. And he again said, you can't control me. And I said, well, I can control me. And there is going to be a an end date to this. Like I can't do this forever. And soon after that COVID hit and, um, we were kind of locked up together, not, you know, and, um, we started kind of building a friendship again. We had kind of an acquaintance relationship before that, and then a friendship and we did things together and we just started getting a little bit closer, but it was still really tense. And then, um, after he got back to work, I had a hard time with that because then he was gone again. And I didn't really know what to do with myself. I had started um, a career three years ago um, and I was starting to become successful at it. And that kind of scared me because I also felt like if I didn't need him, then I might not make the best decision in an argument or in a in an emotional relationship talk. So I was trying to avoid that. I decided this year to do group coaching. That was, I I don't feel like that was, 
exactly what I needed for me at that time. Um, but that led me into the solo workshop because I felt like that was a little bit more directed toward what I needed for me. And what was it that you needed? What was it that you needed that the solo spouse workshop gave um, you? The solo spouse workshop, what gave me the ability to really focus on myself. And after going to the marriage helper couples workshop in 2018, and then doing the solo workshop in this year, it gave me the ability to look back at where I was in 2018. I went back and I went over my disc assessment and compared it. And I was in a completely different place than I was. I still had the same baseline, you know, same characteristics. You know, I'm always going to be social. I'm always going to be um, myself essentially, but I was very muted at three years ago. It was very, I don't know. I was in the background of my own life. And, um, in this year, in 2021, I was much stronger in the things that I was strong in. I was more developed, I guess, as a person, I was coming from a completely different place. You know, I was now the standing spouse completely and kind of in pre-reconciliation phase. So I came to that workshop with a completely different mindset and came away from it with, skills that I had kind of forgotten about in the first workshop because I was so focused on just a few solid things. Like, what do we do now? How do we raise these boys separately? How do we, you know, do this? And this time I was, what do I do now? You know, how do I keep moving forward? How do I continue to stand and continue to try to build this relationship and continue to do the things that I know are right? And then what can I do in addition to that? And group coaching helped me with that as well. It was just a little bit different because it wasn't, I felt a lot of guilt being in that group with other women that had been betrayed. I felt like I didn't want to share because I didn't want to hurt them more. So I, I didn't share much, but I, some of the tools that um, the coach gave us were spectacular. I had spent so many years doing smart contact and not pushing and not doing a relationship conversations that I kind of spiraled into this, like, we're never going to talk about it. I'm never going to get any answers. I'm never going to be told I love you. I'm never, you know, I had grown hopeless and the group coaching gave me hope again and taught me how to have an emotional conversation without losing control of my emotions. Um, how to have a wise conversation with my husband and know when to stop because that's something that I haven't been good at. It was like, okay, we're fine. In the past, I always thought we're finally talking about emotional things. I've got to get them all out right now while the window's open. And I didn't know how to set those boundaries for myself. I would just spill. And it was very unhealthy for us because then he was overwhelmed because he's a processor and he needs time to do those things. So he would get overwhelmed and we would end up just yelling and screaming and you know, crying and it was just horrible. We've now had since August, I think we've had two relationship talks, just very surface and they didn't go bad. He didn't shut me down. He answered whatever I was asking. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I would put them in the category of a, of kind of a deep talk, you know, a deep talk with a friend though. And no emotions, no anger, no bitterness, none of those things that used to rear its head when we talked. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's been amazing to learn 
that is not hopeless. Hmm. So, the, so for those who are listening, we've talked about the two different workshops. The first one that you went to with your husband is our couples turnaround workshop, which, as you said, is both online and in person in Tennessee. And then you returned as a solo spouse, which often happens the other way around. So quite mm-hmm. often we have people come first by themselves because they can't persuade their spouse to come with you, with them and then it moves. Um, but you even found, so even after being a couples workshop graduate, you even found that there was information for you. So you talked about the DISC profile. That's one of the assessments that we do as part of the workshop to really discover more about yourself. And you'll do that on the Solo Spouse workshop as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say to somebody who is in your position of standing, having stood for quite a while, what would you say to that person? If you can go to the solo workshop, do it. Like that was, it was huge. Not only did I not feel alone, but I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I had to kind of guard my paper when I wrote, you know, cause my husband's sitting right beside me. And what if he sees my real feelings? I better not put them on this paper or I better not, you know, answer them out loud because if I say something that he hasn't heard, then are we going to fight right in front of all these people? You know, I was super high anxiety when we went to the, the couple's workshop. The solo workshop wasn't available at that time, but had I had the opportunity to do the solo workshop and then the couple's workshop, that's, I would do them both just like that. You learn so much about yourself in the solo workshop and you can, it sounds weird because you're talking to strangers, like people you don't know, but also they don't know your last name. They don't know who you are or anything about you. So you almost um, are feel more comfortable sharing. It's not recorded. um, And when you're talking, so whatever I say is just gone, you know, it's out there. It's not, it's not something that your spouse is going to, rehash or ask you to explain or what what was what were you gonna say you looked like you were gonna say something there you know it it would there was none of that it was so relaxed and it's just informative but then also i could i could tell parts of my story without judgment and um that's definitely something that's a little bit different at um the the couples workshop um, and so are we up to, are we up to present day? Where are you at now, Amanda? Um, we, he is back to working a lot, which has been a really big struggle. Um, all of our marriage, he's, uh, working out of town. I haven't seen him. No, I've gone up there a few times. Um, but I haven't seen him for about four months, um, other than a day here and there, but we're talking every day. We, pretty much a smart contact. He can't, he doesn't need all of the emotional stuff while he's out there anyways. So I try to keep that to a very minimum. I think that we've built our respect of each other back up and we have that baseline where friends, we're friends that like each other. And that's been a huge thing. I like him again. Like I've gotten to know him differently now than I did when I was 17, 18 years old. And I feel like if we continue on the path that we're on, uh, we will reconcile. I can't speak for him. He, we haven't had that conversation, but I can't imagine why we wouldn't if we stay on these lines. It's been a long time though. We started this in, I think I started um, really pulling away in 2015. So that's been six years ago. And we really hit a the hard spot in 2016. So, you know, I've been 
with Marriage Helper and doing things with Marriage Helper for since 2017, it's changed everything. I would have given up. And how has it changed you? How how is how are how are you different from 2015? I had the um, opportunity to have a career, and I in the past I never would have sought that out for myself. I would have continued trying to be a stay-at-home mom and doing things out of my home that that helped financially. Um, I was bold enough to go out of my comfort zone, and um, I'm starting to become relatively successful at that. And, um, my husband is celebrating along with me, you know, and that's, that's been really, really cool because we've, I've not really had an identity of my own. Um, I went straight from my parents' house into his house and, um, I didn't really have this gap to find out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to be when I grew up. And now my boys are close to moving out of the house and I'm going to be an empty nester. And I needed to find something that would focus and fill my time, especially with my husband out of town. Previously, five, six years ago, I would have just sulked and gone into a deep depression and tried to find ways to pull myself out periodically and only really been alive when he came home from work and then um, would just have been super depressed and alone and sorry for myself that I was a married single mom. You know, that was what I called myself because he was not home. And I would have not really searched for pity, but definitely would not have gotten out and gone to events and done things outside of my home that, um, I don't know, that are amazing. Like, like I'm doing things in our community that are helpful and I'm doing, I, I decided to do, I'm better at doing for other people than for myself. So I do a lot of outreach and, um, things for people, um, in my circle and without outside of my circle. And I don't, ask him for permission to do those things. I just do good things and tell him about them when we have time to talk. And uh, I didn't have that confidence before. So I've come a long way, a long, long way. Well, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you, Amanda. Um, I suppose just to wrap this up, looking back to, to where you were five, six years ago, would you have done anything differently or would you, um, would you give, what advice would you give yourself back at that time? When, when our, our little boy passed away, I would have gotten us in counseling or me in counseling. I would have at that point learned, tried to learn how to communicate my feelings, my needs, my wants, my desires without pushing him into, you know, into anger or, or overwhelming him. I would have learned that he, I would have told myself to figure out how he processes things because I'm one of those people that wants to make decisions. Like, let's do this. It's a good idea. I've done all the research. Let's do this. And he needs a lot more time. I would have learned how to express myself, learned how to tell him instead of saying, please don't take a job that's out of town. I would have said, I can't do well and function if you're out of town, unless, um, you know, whatever whatever I needed at the time, because I felt, I felt abandoned over and over and over, you know, when he would leave, I would have learned how to share that with him. I wish I had the communication skills then that I have now and the ability to understand him and his side, but 
I don't know how I would have learned those things without Marriage Helper. I don't know. It's changed my life. So, Well, thank you, Amanda. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today and hearing some more about your story. And on behalf of everyone at Marriage Helper, we wish you all the best. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Relationship Radio. Please refer to the notes in the description to learn more about any resources mentioned in this episode. Please visit our website at marriagehelper.com for more information about our online courses, marriage workshops, and coaching. We exist to help save marriages and strengthen families. We look forward to interacting with you on the next episode of Relationship Radio.